so welcome. And, um, you know, one of the things that I love most is meditation. You know, it's been something I've been doing for a number of years now, and it has um, been a source of enormous joy. And I'm um, always happy to be in a position to have time to meditate and to share tools and skills with others. So we have a day from now until around five this afternoon that we can spend in meditation practice together. And, um, you know, the theme of the day long is the joy of meditation. And what I'd like to do is to work from the very basic instructions all the way up to some more sophisticated instructions that allow us to connect with the experience of joy not as an intellectual activity, but as a kind of somatic and embodied experience of just knowing what it feels like and having that be the the kind of place where we can relax into. So, you know, I don't know what your personal stories are except for the fact that this is happening at Harvard and many of you are connected with Harvard in a whole variety of different ways. And when I think of hot Harvard, I think of busy and complicated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's accurate. It's pretty close. (laughs) And so, you know, today is a day about being simple and uncomplicated, you know, and actually finding some time and some space and finesse. It's not about pressure. You're not getting graded. There's no exam. The exam is the body's sense of ease and well-being. That's the litmus test, you know. So it's what's helpful is to begin to kind of, you know, shift gears, you know, and to realize, well, we've just entered a different gravitational field. And it's not about getting and achieving and getting rid of and, and you know, a performance. It's, it's about learning to trust and to settle in and to feel our way through into a, an opening, into a, a gentle, loving, and joyful presence with what is and what is arising. So, you know, meditation has many, many different aspects to it. You know, you can go into bookstores, and there I'm sure are some fantastic bookstores around here. And that would have, you know, hundreds, probably more, like 500 different authors on meditation and spiritual life and its connection with everything under the sun. And, you know, for myself, having spent 30 years now meditating and close to 20 years as an ordained nun, I, you know, basically meditation for me boils down to two different things. And one thing is about learning how to bring balance into our experiences. You know, so if we're tense, to learn how to relax, and if we're exhausted, to learn how to bring more energy. You know, if we're freaked, how to calm and to still. You know, if we're feeling angry or frustrated, you know, to learn how to give some perspective to that. If we're feeling depressed and despondent, to learn how to buoyance, bring buoyancy to our mind. If we're feeling entrenched or stuck, to get some perspective. And, you know, as an as a activity, you know, finding balance in one's life, for most of us, it's not a weekend project. It, it's not even a day-long project. It's a lifetime project. 
and as long as I have been working at this, there's more places where I can learn. It's never finished. But it's a little bit like developing tools, and, you know, it's an ever-expanding workshop that has no space limitation on how many different kinds of things that you can bring in as far as tools and understanding. And it's also a little bit like a three-dimensional chess game where you're not only working at the level that's at one plane, but you're also working on a vertical level in terms of trying to figure out where you are and what is needed. Because the tools that work at one level operate differently at a different level. Or what is needed at a different level or different tools than at another level. And, you know, for myself, all of this has been a a certain level of sophistication of learning how to feel, learning how to interpret, learning how to attend. But the big thing has been really learning how to let the body be the guide and let my intellect be in service of my intuition and heart rather than drive the ship and drive the boat. Because I don't know about you, but you know what I've found is, is that I can, I can intellectualize and conceptualize anything. You know, I could go from one side to the other side and back again, like that. But what's true, you know? Where's truth? Where's reality? And where is the ground that one can find a place of ease and well-being and all of that? And for me, I can't find that ground in my intellect. I have had to locate it elsewhere. So the elsewhere that I have found for myself is a strong connection to a body sense with a warmth, a welcome, a kindness that is kind of suffusing the atmosphere that allows and receives without judgment or criticism. So when that's in place, then I can use the intellect as a support. And obviously having a keen intellect, having clear powers of discernment are very useful. You know, phenomenally useful. So the whole one aspect of meditation really is about learning how to bring ease and well-being and balance into the conditions that we experience. You know, learning how to keep oneself renewed and rested, how to keep oneself buoyant and um, attending to what needs to be attended to and responding skillfully to the whole variety of things that arise. Being a human being with a mind and a body, there's a lot of things that arise, you know in terms of needs and complexity and in terms of navigating what it is to have a physical body and to have the whole spectrum of emotions that arise and to live in relationship with other people and to have goals and to think about things and conceive of things. and That's all that arises. And learning how to meet each thing and respond to each thing is uh, the skill that's required with, with with meditation. Um, but the thing about meditation is, is is that, you know, we tend to think that that's all that meditation is, you know? We think it's about learning how to settle and learning how to still and learning how to collect one's attention and learning how to be without thought and learning how to work with our, our feelings and our body and our moods and everything. You know, and that's what meditation is. Well, that's part of what meditation is. That's half of what meditation is. And the other half of what meditation is, is to learn to shift our frame of reference 
so that we are not identifying with the objects of our experience, but resting in awareness itself. Because no matter how adept we are at working with the things that arise, you know, on some level, it's a little bit like rearranging the, the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. You know? This whole thing is going in a particular direction, and there is nothing that we will ever be able to do that's going to stop that. Yeah? And if we don't get with that program, then what happens is, is, is that inevitably we feel that either the meditation is a failure or we're a failure. Because we are up against situations which are out of control, and we feel that either the meditation has failed us, that if we had meditated better, they wouldn't be out of control, or that we have failed the meditation, because if we had been a better meditator, they wouldn't be out of control. But the fundamental misunderstanding is, is, is that we can be in control. So we have to get with the program from the very beginning that part of it is learning to stay in balance and on some level there's a kind of unwritten kind of prescription of control. And then the other half of meditation is learning how to recognize that out of control is part of the package and that we actually need how to be with that in a way where we're not adding anything extra in terms of suffering. Okay? So the first part of meditation is learning how to bring balance and the second part of meditation is about learning how to rest without identifying with the objects in an awareness itself which is not actually concerned about what is arising. So in a nutshell, that's what meditation is about. And in a nutshell, that's what we'll be doing today. And for most people, it takes usually more than a day. But being from Harvard, you're quite exceptional, so we have (laughs) exceptions to the rule. So what I'd like to suggest is is that we have the day in um, noble silence. And noble silence is not meant because there's any kind of spiritual mysticism that comes with being quiet. It's because that our thinking processes are so linked to speech and there's so many kind of of, uh, internal things that go on subliminally when we're speaking that we usually miss it. And so the, the not speaking is just a way to focus attention inwardly and to give more room and space for that whole inner uh, arena to begin to be something that we can touch and know and feel rather than having to navigate the many different layers of what's required with communicating and relating. So the not communicating is not an instruction to shut others out but to tune in from a level of stillness and silence. So there's a lot of people, and we're sitting in close proximity to each other. We need to be sensitive to that, move in a way where we're respectful of each other's presence in the room, and also attending to our own needs. So my recommendation would be to allow the noble silence to be a container that we hold for this day, 
and allow that to be the opportunity to encourage us to really touch, you know, what is what is happening here. And when we feel each other, sense each other, to do so from, you know, a heart place or a, a kinesthetic place rather than from a personality place of knowing story and details and, you know, about the person and where they come from and what their personal circumstances are. And so we can feel and respond to them from that place of sensitivity without having to know any details or information about what they're actually navigating. Um, we'll have 45-minute um, sittings, and they'll be alternating with walking, and we'll do some standing meditation. And what I would encourage is, is, is that what's really strongly emphasized today is to stay present and connected with experience. And so you don't get any extra brownie points or gold stars if you are sitting just because everybody else is sitting. And so if you're not able to stay connected with your own experience while sitting or there's too much pain in your legs, all right, just very quietly stand up. So it's not a way of avoiding what's happening. It's a compassionate response to our capacity of navigating what's happening, all right? So what's needed is, is that people begin to really tune into where they're at and what's appropriate. And even though I'm up here speaking, what really needs to happen is, is that everybody needs to be in a perfect dialogue with their own internal experience in terms of getting a sense of what's needed right now and what's the right response. And in the same way, you know, when I speak, I'm never asking people to believe a word that I say. Never. What is offered is a gift. It comes freely, and it is meant to be received with that invitation to use it if it's useful. It may be that the instructions that I'm giving is not where you need to be focusing, particularly if you have a very strong practice or if something is being triggered by some of the meditation where your system is being flooded by things and you need to back off from the meditation, what is needed is that you trust your own instinct and intuition and not push through in order to listen to what I'm saying because you sense or think that what I'm saying you need to follow. Don't do that way. All right? So it's challenging to trust oneself, particularly when there isn't a lot of experience to trust in. And yet, you're going to have to try. All right? So I will do what I can to be supportive and offer and guidance which is useful and pertinent and relevant. And you, I would ask to do your best to listen with an open heart and to filter what I say in terms of what's useful and make use of what's useful and ignore what isn't useful. And if in the course of the day I manage to say something which goes against your deepest understanding of what the truth actually is, then I would really strongly ask not to just ignore it or let it aside, but at some point, you know, to come back to me about it and check it out. Because when we set up that kind of an agreement, then what we're doing is we're protecting this as a sacred space. And this is not an opportunity for me to talk about, you know, issues of my own that I haven't resolved yet, you know, or to go on about political things that are not actually particularly relevant to meditation. This is a time for meditation and for using the practice, really, to touch the joy and to touch the peace and to touch the pleasure of what can happen 
when we start opening up and letting go and tuning in. So if whatever happens, something happens and I go off track, you know, and what I'm saying is absolutely not in accordance with your deepest understanding of the truth, don't can it, don't ignore it, come back to me about it. It might be uh, easier not to do it at that absolute instant, Mm -hmm. but at some point come back. And in that way we set up a, a, a relationship of mutual respect and mutual responsibility. My job is to be as clear a channel as I can in terms of conveying teachings which are liberating. And your job is to be a a clear a vessel as possible to pick those teachings up, put them into practice, and to stay in constant dialogue about what is happening and what your own relationship to it is. Good enough? Mm